Welcome to the Factual Forecast, a look at the week's biggest stories and what they mean from the editors at Factual. I'm Jimmy Lovis. Today is February 23rd, and in this week's forecast, we've got the anniversary of Russia's full invasion of Ukraine, a general election in Nigeria, a U.S. Supreme Court hearing on Biden's student loan forgiveness plan, California ending its coronavirus state of emergency, and a look at the earthquakes in the Turkey-Syria border region that have left thousands dead and millions displaced. You can also read about these stories and more in our weekly newsletter which you can find a link to in the show notes. Tomorrow marks the one-year anniversary of Russia's full invasion of Ukraine. Of course, the full invasion came eight years after annexing Crimea and invading Ukraine's eastern Donbas region. And while Russia has failed in its attempt to capture the capital Kiev, the war continues to be extremely active along the front lines ranging from Ukraine's east to its south. Ukraine's education ministry has also urged all schools to go remote, coinciding with the anniversary and preparation for possible Russian missile strikes well past the front lines. Now, comprehensive war settlements remain elusive, and Russia's widely anticipated offensive in Ukraine's east has begun in earnest. Heavy clashes are already underway across multiple fronts of the line of contact, including fighting over the key city of Bakhmut. Finally, In a State of the Nation speech earlier this week, Putin also announced that Russia would suspend its involvement in New START. That's the final remaining treaty between the United States and Moscow, regulating each other's respective strategic nuclear forces. And while Russia's foreign ministry indicated Moscow would continue to operate within the treaty's nuclear force limits, the suspension marks another blow to the treaty's inspection regime, as well as broader attempts at arms control between the two sides. Nigerians will elect their new president and representatives for parliament on Saturday. It's a vote that is expected to be close and contested. The vote is also taking place amid a climate of violence, including a surge of gang activity, kidnappings of civilians, and Islamist and separatist groups conducting attacks. One of voters' main concern is economic insecurity linked to inflation of more than 21%, high levels of unemployment, and a cash crisis. Now, This election will be counted by new technology implemented by the National Electoral Commission to avoid electoral fraud, especially important considering more than 93 million people are registered to vote. They'll be choosing between 18 presidential candidates with three main favorites in opinion polls. Bola Ahmed Tanubu of All Progressives Congress, Atiku Abubakar of People's Democratic Party, and Peter Obi of the Labor Party. And for the first time since the country's return to democratic rule, no candidates are incumbents or former military leaders. Some 469 parliament seats are also up for a vote. If no candidate reaches the necessary majority, a runoff will take place on March 11th, along with the state governor's election. The U.S. Supreme Court will hear arguments Tuesday on whether it's legal for the government to erase billions of dollars of student loan debt. Since the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, the U.S. has paused payments on student loans and consistently extended that program for years. In August, President Joe Biden announced a plan to forgive up to $20,000 of student loan debt for most borrowers. Lower courts have stopped the plan from taking effect by saying the Department of Education doesn't have the legal authority to cancel these debts. Now, 
Whatever the conservative majority court decides, it will have large impacts on the American people as well as the judicial branch of government. A majority of borrowers say they may not be able to afford to resume their loan payments when they're set to restart in June. Finally, according to the Solicitor General, a decision against Biden could also give states the standing to challenge almost any federal policy. That could lead to nearly every major political policy being decided before the Supreme Court. California will end its coronavirus state of emergency on Tuesday. Governor Gavin Newsom announced in October 2022 that California would end the nearly three-year-old state of emergency in February, one month after President Joe Biden announced the nationwide emergency will end this coming May. According to state records, more than 60% of the state's population is vaccinated with two shots of a coronavirus vaccine. And with deaths and hospitalizations reduced, the governor said the state is ready to continue fighting coronavirus with the infrastructure and processes built during the last few years. Now, California's emergency declaration has been the basis of more than 500 policy measures currently in place, and the state's government has released a statewide plan as a guide for moving into the next phase of the pandemic. Officials are now aiming to treat coronavirus as a manageable issue rather than a crisis. This phase-out is not only reflective of the progress of the coronavirus pandemic in California, but also indicative of how officials and the public will go on approaching the pandemic in the United States as a whole. Our last item for this forecast is a look at the recent earthquakes in southern Turkey that have left thousands dead and millions displaced. For more on that, I spoke with Factual Senior Editor Halima Mansour. Hello, Halima. Hi, Jimmy. Halima, you were just on the podcast a couple weeks ago briefing us on the deadly quakes in southern Turkey, and sadly, here we are again. I guess, you know, to start, what's the latest? Well, thanks for having me here again. You're right. We're just uh, two weeks past the February 6th earthquakes. Um, the ones that devastated provinces of southern Turkey near the Syrian border. And if we attempt to understand the scale of loss by looking at official numbers, that in itself is more than 42,000 people killed in Turkey with another 3,500 dead in Syria, plus many thousands more injured. Unfortunately, the latest um, is that a magnitude 6.4 earthquake hit the same region, this time originating in Hatay province, early Monday morning Turkey time. It was followed by another earthquake of 5.8, also in Hatay. So far, six people have died in these and nearly 300 others injured. Both epicenters are rather close to Antakya, which is a widely diverse city with deep ancient roots. So what was once a city with churches, mosques, and a synagogue is now being described by residents as a ghost city after the last earthquakes. Now, how have these new earthquakes impacted recovery and relief efforts from the first pair back on February 6th? The recent earthquakes came around the same time that most provinces were ending rescue efforts and starting to remove debris. But in Hatay, there were reports of rescue workers and locals getting stuck or injured as more buildings collapsed in Monday's earthquakes. There is now a well-founded fear of entering damaged buildings there that have been weakened by shock after shock. Also, there's been no clear answer to what happened to the remains of people who weren't rescued. There has been no official word on whether Turkey will try to remove all bodies from the debris or will remains come out with the debris. People are wondering if everyone will get identified. So will everyone get a chance to bury their loved ones? 
Well, what's the biggest concern right now? I would say the displacement of people and rebuilding public trust are going hand in hand right now. More than 800,000 people are living in tents. That is in addition to roughly 3 million people estimated to have left their homes and cities in the aftermath. Some of them had a choice of living with family, but the rest are living in tents and containers. And according to some reports, until fairly recently, some people were sleeping in their cars. Now, the Erdogan government plans to start rebuilding in March, but even the hastiest, quickest construction means thousands of people will be living in shelters for months, including the twice-displaced Syrian refugees. That's a loss of dignity, health, education, and possibly jobs in the short and possibly long run. Well, like I always ask, what do you think folks should be watching for next? One of the questions that Turkish people are asking is, is the still incomplete death toll a result of corruption and lax building codes, or is it destiny, as President Erdogan said? We need to watch for whether the Turkish people are willing to trust any building put up in the near future with the same laws and codes and amnesty for skirting those laws and codes. So I'll leave you with this example. Turkey's disaster agency is the organ of the state which everybody should have faith in. But right now, there's a debate ongoing on why a man who previously worked in the religious affairs department has a theology degree in the top ranks. The Turkish people have questions, and we really need to see how those will be answered. Well, we are unfortunately running short on time, so I think we'll leave it there for today. But as always, I appreciate your time, and thanks for keeping us informed. Thank you for having me. Take care. As always, thank you for listening to The Factual Forecast. We publish our forward-looking podcast and newsletter each Thursday to help you get a jump start on the week ahead. Please subscribe and review wherever you find your podcasts. And we'd love it if you'd consider telling a friend about us. Today's episode was produced with work from Factual Editors Alex Moore, Irene Viora, Jeff Lancet, and Hua Shea. Our interview featured editor Halima Mansour, and our music comes courtesy of Andrew Gosby. Until next time, if you have any feedback, suggestions, or events we've missed, drop us a note by emailing hello at factual.com.